0: There's news in the NFL today, and it's time to break it down in the only way we know how. Hot Rough style. Earl, Johnny! With our spin on football headlines with a mix of frozen tundras, let's be a cold weather team,
1: neck rolls, I want, I and grass stained jerseys. The good old fashioned guts was probably the biggest difference in the game.
0: Hey everybody, welcome to another episode of Hot Routes. Matthew Collar and Jonathan Harrison here as we do every Tuesday night at about 9 o'clock. We have five questions to break down the NFL, but of course, this week is a little bit different. After what happened with DeMar Hamlin hit in the chest in the Bills, and Cincinnati Bengals game is still presently in the hospital, and while we have some news pushing in a positive direction. It is far from clear uh, how things are going to turn out with DeMar Hamlin. And of course, we are hoping for the absolute best from him, that he's able to bounce back from this and live a normal life, much less not worried at all about his NFL career so much as just that he can return to normalcy eventually in his life. So we're really rooting for him along with the rest of the world. And it's been amazing to see All the people who have reached out, the people who have donated to his uh, charity that he set up and the across sports response, because I think this is something that not only football players relate to and the dangers of playing in the NFL, but I think even all athletes for what happened to him or at least what it sounds like. We haven't heard a press conference from doctors that are breaking down everything, but what seems to have happened has happened in other sports. It's happened in wrestling. It's happened in lacrosse, baseball, uh, that there are dangers of playing the sport. And this uh, was something that, I mean, a lot of us have never seen anything like it. Um, you know, Chuck Hughes in the 1970s was brought up, a Detroit Lions player who passed away during a game. But aside from that, um, normally, Someone gets hurt in a game, and you assume that they'll be okay, even if it looks bad. Usually as they're getting carted off, they give some sort of signal. Um, Usually the players look pretty shook, and then they get back to business. But that was not the case. And so many of us have never seen anything like what happened to DeMar Hamlin. It was very, very jarring, very shaking, I think, for everyone who was watching Monday Night Football And so I wanted to start Hot Routes, Jonathan, by just sharing some feelings about it, man, because it was an incredibly emotional thing for everybody who saw it happen, for the players, for players across the sport. Um, A lot of media sessions, if not all of them in the NFL, were canceled because it would be unfair to have players answering questions about this and having to talk about it right away. When I think that this is something that strikes really at the core of all of their fears playing a sport that is very dangerous. But you always assume that everyone is going to be able to get back on the field eventually. And with this, at this moment, we still don't know what uh, DeMar Hamlin's future is. So, a, a terrible, terrible, traumatizing event for all the players. And you know, I think as far as what happens from here, I, I don't know with the NFL how they're going to reschedule things, of course, is quite secondary. Uh, after that happened, but I think you could understand even if some players didn't want to play this weekend because of what yeah. happened. Um, this is something that you know they've never had to deal with before watching one of their brothers in the NFL go down the way that Damar Hamlin did and have to be resuscitated on the field. So, this, I, I think, is an incredibly difficult event for everyone across the NFL to deal with. So um, your feelings, Jonathan, on, on what happened with DeMar Hamlin?
1: Yeah, it's One of the scariest things you can witness ever, like not just in sports, just in real life. I mean, it's, it's the second time a sporting event that I've been watching second time in what the past three years, sporting event that I've been watching has had to have, EMTs come on the field and resuscitate a player. If you don't remember, a couple of years ago, at the 2020 Euros soccer competition in Europe between national teams, Christian Eriksen, who now plays for Manchester United, playing for Denmark at the time, um, fell down on the field, just collapsed and died on the field. And EMTs thankfully were right on the spot and were able to resuscitate him. And it just—it's the second time this has happened in such a short order, and it's just—it's scary. It's as a football fan. It's the thing that you know is a possibility because of how violent and how big these guys are and how strong these guys are. But you never think it's going to actually happen, and then it happened yesterday. And it's, it just it snaps you back to reality. You you have to. You it it just changes everything at this point, and you can't. There's no going back to. These guys are just freakishly big and they'll pop up from everything. This will always be at the forefront of everybody's mind now for the next several years. And it's always the biggest, it's always been the biggest fear for any normal fan, normal player that this could happen. And it happened last night. And it just, it scares the crap out of you that this could happen on a football field, that it could happen to anybody on that, on any field, on in a normal life. It's just, it's a scary situation. And, you know, there's there's a lot of credit to go all around for how the situation was handled. The EMTs, the medical personnel, the coaching staffs, the players, a lot of the people there last night deserve a lot of credit for how things were handled on the scene. And it just, I think the biggest one obviously goes to the medical personnel, no, noticing something was wrong immediately and getting out there as quick as they could and handling it in an extremely tough environment with. So many people watching, you know, you have a national audience just kind of focused on what's going on and you have to perform your job because a guy's life is on the line and they did it remarkably well, according to all reports. And just yeah, it's it's one of the toughest things that you can deal with in normal life. And it's, it's scary that it happened on national television. Right. And it sort of pulls back the
0: curtain on mm-hmm. what's behind. We all know that there's the possibility that this could happen. And it has with high school players um, from time Mm -hmm. to time that we have a tragedy like this and we have not seen it at the the NFL level. And as you said, I mean, where the NFL deserves credit here and they've gotten some criticism for who said they were going to play in five minutes. And there's a lot of evidence that someone did say that they were going to play in five minutes. And that looks like what was going to happen. Ultimately, they made the right decision and they deserve credit for that in an unprecedented situation for the coaches getting together, that the players, the leadership and saying, no, we cannot continue to play after what everyone has just seen. But they do deserve a lot of credit for the preparation for this type of thing that, um, you know, you could almost compare it to like flying, where if it's going to exist, it has to have all of these things uh, that are boxes that are checked. and the same thing goes for the NFL. If it's going to exist, it has to have EMTs. It has to have an ambulance. We ha- we have to be ready for something like this that could happen and the, and they were ready. and those professionals that were able to do that, I mean, I, all, all people who work in that field, the trauma field, I mean, all of a sudden at any time, if you work in a trauma ER, the types of things that you are seeing coming in and you're asked to save people's lives. I mean, it's unimaginable, um, you know, the, the the work that those people do. And so to be able to save his life and get him in that ambulance, get him to the trauma center as fast as they did. I I don't think we're even talking about this in, unless uh, they, they did. Right. So, you know, I, I mean, this this whole thing. Um, It kind of says that the NFL did the right thing in in its preparedness. It did the right thing in suspending the game, Um, but it's going to be very hard for everyone to shake what they saw there and, and go out and play this week. And, you know, I guess, you know, there hasn't really been any sort of discussion about, you know, what, what's going to happen with this week's games, how they're going to deal with, an AFC playoff race that's now greatly impacted. And I I guess if you're the NFL and the players say that they are not up to it this week, I don't know what you do. I mean, you might have to move back games similarly to what they did uh, after nine 11, where the players just thought it was disrespectful to go play. And in this case with DeMar Hamlin and the fact that it's unclear what his future is at this moment, um, you know, it's, it's a, it's going to be a difficult decision. And if they do play for every player that goes out there, how do you focus? How do you not think about what just happened? And and I know that moving it back an extra week doesn't make this disappear, but it may give an extra week to sort of see the direction that he's going in his recovery, because Mm -hmm. right now still critical condition for DeMar Hamlin. And it may give Everyone an extra week just to process things. So as far as a logistical nightmare, yeah, it would be unbelievably difficult for them to figure it out. Um, but I think that there does need to be a conversation throughout this week, and it's just unfortunate because the way that the NFL world is, it's just on to the next thing, on to the next thing, on to the next thing. So I suspect by the time a lot of people are listening to this, they've sort of gotten ready for the next game, and and I understand that, but I think that one thing with something like this that we've seen rise to the top that you have to have a lot of appreciation for is just compassion that we've saw it from the Mm -hmm. broadcasters talking about it. Lisa Salters on the sideline, a true professional, Ryan Clark, Scott Van Pelt and people who are reacting to this and trying to provide as much information as they could for the viewers, but also just asking generally for compassion for, for DeMar Hamlin and also for you know, all the the players who are are struck in a different way by this. I, I don't think that even someone who covers the league like myself or fans, I don't think we can ever put ourselves in the shoes of people who go out and play this game and they understand the risks that they take, but they've never seen anything like that. They understand there's a risk you could break a leg or you could get a concussion even. At this point, I think all players understand that that, is a possibility and it's something that they sign up for but um something like what happened to Demar Hamlin I think is is just got to shake them to their to their core and uh the from the responses we've seen that's definitely the case so I don't know what the NFL is going to do I imagine they're going to carry on and they're going to have a pregame 30 seconds everyone pray for Damar Hamlin I, and and is that the right thing to do I don't know because when it goes for all like tragedies or events like this that happen that are unprecedented. It's hard to know what the right thing to do is. Should you play? Should you not play? Should they have kept playing? Should they have not keep playing? I mean, it seemed very clear uh, after a few minutes that they should not keep playing and they did the right thing, suspending the game. But um, all, all of these things are very difficult. Sometimes on social media, people make it seem like it's very easy in real time to kind of just snap your fingers and have all the right answers. But um, you know, so I, I I don't I don't have really even a suggestion for what the NFL should do. Should you just get back out there and honor him by having everybody go play, or what? And look at it as kind of a random event, which it it may have been something that you know maybe once in a generation happens, uh, or maybe ask the players like, can you guys do it this week? Because I think you know if you had a workplace accident if you worked in a factory or a gas station or wherever you work in a hospital or a workplace accident with somebody you work with, I mean, it would be very difficult to just move right on past it. So I think that's the biggest thing that we should take away from this is just how much compassion the world has had for DeMar Hamlin and just carry
1: that over, you know, carry that over. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, if, if you're not human, if it doesn't shake you at least a little bit, um watching that happen seeing that happen live and yeah I think it as you said there's there's no easy answer for what has to come next for the NFL and how they handle this I think your suggestion is best ask the players just put it in their hands this time just let the players handle handle this and ask them do you want to play can you can you mentally focus this week are you mentally there and ready to play this week if not then you put the game off a week. There's no problem with that because you you have that week between the conference championship games and the Super Bowl. You've built that in after what happened in 2000, 2001. You built that in in case something has to happen that delays the season a week. Well, this is the time to use it if the players aren't ready to play. It just seems as simple as that. Ask the players and if the players want to go, if they, wanna, if they say they want to honor DeMar Hamlin by playing, then, then let them. Put keep the games going. But if they don't want to play, if there's a large majority of them that don't feel comfortable playing, aren't in the right headspace, because you know you can't, we've talked about it plenty of times in this show, you can't play this game less than 100% because it is too dangerous. You have to be there mentally, you have to be there physically 100%, and if you're not, you are a risk to yourself, you are a risk to the, the other players. So it, it should all be up, it should be all up to the players, whether this week goes on or not.
0: Right, yeah, and I think what we learned through the lessons of the COVID season is that you can always reschedule. You can always move things. The NBA and the WNBA, they put their entire leagues in bubbles. Mm -hmm. Like we have just learned to adapt as a society. And if they had to change it to where there's only one week between the NFC championship and the NFL, well, that's fine. Uh, I'm sorry, between that and the Super Bowl, then that's fine. Um, But, you know, I think, I think it is maybe even borderline, Dangerous, depending on the, the players. If the focus is not there, then mm-hmm. players can get hurt. So, I, I mean, it, I, it should entirely be the NFL Players Association's call. As it seems, maybe the NFL Players Association was responsible for that game being shut down and making the right decision uh, last night. Um, it should be kind of the same thing here. So it is a, a unfortunate transition to go from talking about that event and DeMar Hamlin, of course, we, along with everyone else, hope for mm-hmm. the best and really just all the Buffalo Bills players and T. Higgins as well. T. Higgins did nothing wrong. He caught a pass and he got tackled. And, you know, he's going to have to live with that, with the fact that he didn't do anything wrong. But I mean, when you're the guy who ran into him, you're always going to feel that hovering over you. And the Bills, I mean, they have dealt with two deadly storms in Buffalo this year and a mass shooting at a grocery store that happened all in one season. And now this, I mean, it's just that team has been through so much. I mean, they had to fly to Detroit to play a game. Then after the game against Cincinnati, they had to just go back home and leave DeMar Hamlin in Cincinnati. Um, I, I just can't imagine the emotions that that team has gone through for this season. Uh, so we'll we'll move on. And we'll discuss the NFL playoffs as we normally do. And I, at this moment, there has been no announcement about what's going to happen. And I assume that they are going to go forward and play these games. I guess I I just wouldn't question it if they decided that they were going to put it off for another week after what happened. Uh, So let's just jump into it as we always do. And we'll move forward as I assume the NFL eventually will by itself uh, and talk about some of the playoff things here. So I want to get into Tom Brady a little bit because for most of this season, you and I have talked about how Tom Brady looks like he doesn't want to be there. His, and it's not my business, but his marriage publicly came apart this year. He's thrown helmets. He's been asked not to throw the uh, Microsoft surface anymore. He's yelled at linemen. He looks frustrated all season long. However, They are a 500 football team and he threw for 432 yards and three touchdowns, including hitting Mike Evans in stride for a beautiful 60 yard touchdown. Should the world be afraid? Should the NFC be nervous that Tom Brady just played his best football
1: game of the year? He looked a ripe 41 again, Jonathan. What a weird thing to say about an NFL player is that they look good at 41 like Tom Brady has in the past. I don't I'm gonna say no, they shouldn't be afraid of Tom Brady because we've seen we've seen players pop up with a good week here and there, but Tom Brady's had a bad season all around up until this last week. I'm not willing to say that he's finally hit the stride because look at his past couple weeks, look at the past three weeks. He's thrown six, He threw six interceptions in the three weeks previous. And that's something that Tom Brady generally doesn't do. He doesn't throw interceptions and he was start. He's been throwing them at a higher clip than normal for Tom Brady, especially in those last three weeks where he just didn't look good against pretty inferior or at least Arizona inferior competition to what, the the Buccaneers should be I mean the other two the other two teams he threw interceptions against were San Francisco and Cincinnati so you kind of expect it with those two teams but against Arizona a team that's essentially checked out at this point and is just is riddled with injuries they've got just a mess of an organization that's a team that you should have done what you did against the Panthers you should have done that against the, the Cardinals and you couldn't muster that up you squeaked out a win against the Cardinals the week previous so if this wasn't if this was against someone other than maybe the Panthers, who I know were on a hot streak, they're on a roll under Steve Wilkes, and it looked like they were gonna kind of take the AFC or the NFC South at the last week. I don't know. I I'm gonna say no until proven other proven otherwise. If if he does this in the playoffs against probably the Dallas Cowboys in week one or in the wild card round of the playoffs then yes, absolutely be afraid because Tom Brady and Mike Evans and that offense and that defense have hit their stride in the playoffs, and that's something you never want to have happen, is the greatest quarterback of all time hit his stride in the playoffs. But I don't know. I think it's just a a fluke week that he got good against a team that there was just – it seemed like all the conditions were there for this to just be a a massive offensive performance for both teams because both teams knew they had to have the win – And I think it just kind of all played out that way. I don't, I don't think that you should, anybody should be afraid of Tom Brady quite yet. If it, like I said, if it happens against Dallas, then yes, be afraid, be very, very afraid.
0: I think you should be afraid. I mean, I I really (laughs) do. I, it's not a great team, uh, but they do have weapons and they do have a defense that's capable of making some plays. And I mean, when it comes to, uh, you know, when it comes to Tom Brady, like the thing is that this year he's really had, you know, surprising number of down games, surprising number of games where his yards per pass attempt are five and he's throwing dinks and dunks. And then he's turning the ball over, as you mentioned, in ways that he never has before. But he's also had some Brady-esque moments where he's been, Pretty darn good where he's led game winning drives, where he's looked in total command. I think he has what four or five game winning drives out of their eight wins so far this season. And I don't think that they are necessarily a Super Bowl contender because more likely than not, they'll just hit one of those games where they can't get going offensively or where he's pressured. And if you remember last year against Los Angeles early in the game, Aaron Donald was getting after him and the pressure was causing lots of problems. So it wasn't until Los Angeles was way up in that game that Brady started rolling, but it's still in there. And even if it's still in there a little, you need to be very concerned, I think, because we're also in a season where everything has been so tight. Like a lot of games have come down to one score. And I don't know if this is held from the middle of the season when the study was done on it, but uh, you know, I mean, we're talking about a season that has had some of the highest number of close games ever and that to me is not a place where you want to play Tom Brady if he's going into the playoffs hot and if you know he can be rested now going into the playoffs as well. I mean, this is a guy who definitely has uh, you know, a pretty pretty old body that he's going to try to heal up here, but the way he was so confidently throwing the football the other day If he gets time to throw, and I know that a team like Dallas does not allow you a whole lot of time to throw the football, but they also have some injuries in their secondary. And Mike Evans is one of the most underappreciated elite wide receivers year in and year out, thousand yard after thousand yard at any given time. And this is what happened against Los Angeles last year. At any given time, he can go for a 60-yard or a 70-yard touchdown down the sideline, and the fact that Brady can still deliver the ball I mean, there's no time where you're not going to be afraid of that guy. It's kind of reminds me of like late career Pedro Martinez. If you remember, like he was pitching for the Philadelphia Phillies, I think late in his career. And you still, you're still kind of nervous about facing someone who's just so prolific, even if the fastball wasn't there. And wouldn't it be the most Dallas Cowboys thing ever? <laughs> Right? I mean, it's it would be just the most Dallas Cowboys thing and Mike McCarthy thing to have a great season and this great offense and defense that gets after the passer. And then here comes Tom Brady and just ruins your weekend. I, yeah, I don't know. If it was anybody else, there's an intimidation factor for this. And I'm going to give you an example. You know, I love chess and I bring up chess mm-hmm. sometimes on the show. There are great chess players who play less accurately when they play Magnus Carlsen. Magnus Carlsen is arguably the greatest player of all time. He's absolutely the greatest player of this generation. And there's an intimidation factor for sitting across the board from Magnus Carlsen. There has been that with Tom Brady for many years. And when you look at that box score and you look at that performance, you go, oh no, oh no, (laughs) not this guy. Uh, So I don't think that they have the horses, the offensive line, Uh, the running game, which is just basically non-existent for them, or even a defense that's as good as it was when they won the Super Bowl with Brady. Gronk is not walking back through that door, apparently. And and really, that was an underappreciated part of that Super Bowl, was just how many weapons he had. Antonio Brown was sane just long enough for him to be great, and of course, Gronk as well. But I would never pick against Brady until he's totally retired has the gold jacket on is broadcasting for peacock or something like
1: i yeah I, I think that they should still be a little bit concerned about it let's put it this way you you brought up dallas and and the fear factor that they'll have and mike mccarthy as we both have talked about i'm not a big fan of mike mccarthy if that happens when that matchup is solidified in stone that those two teams are going to play each other and i think it might already be but The talk that week is going to be on how the Cowboys can handle going on the road despite being the better team, how they can go against Tom Brady, and that fear factor will be placed. And you can bet that Jerry Jones will be asked, hey, what's Mike McCarthy's status if they don't win here? Because we talked weeks and weeks ago at this point that Sean Payton has kind of just been sitting there and lurking. We know that him and Jerry Jones have a relationship. Jerry Jones has wanted him as the head coach of the Cowboys for a very long time. And if things don't go right after the season that they've had in the playoffs and they get bounced by the nine and eight or eight and nine Tampa Bay Buccaneers on the road in the first round, you can bet Sean Payton's going to hear that Denver's kind of calling around, sniffing around Sean Payton. He's not going to want to lose this guy a second time. He's going to go get his guy and he's going to bounce Mike McCarthy. So that pressure is not going to be there just on the Dallas defense to shut down the goat of all quarterbacks but also that's that pressure is going to be there on Mike McCarthy to have a good game, to call a good game, to have his team prepared. That pressure is going to be there all week, and I don't know that that's going to be able to be a good situation for any team to have to deal with that much pressure coming down from the owner's box as well. It's not just the fans. It's not just the national media. It's from within your own house at that point.
0: No, I agree. And when you think about like, who's the pressure on, well, it's not Tampa Bay, They have absolutely nothing to lose. No one even thinks that they should be there. And honestly, they shouldn't based on their season. Going on the road, this has happened before where the New Orleans Saints had a much better team than the Seattle Seahawks. They went out to Seattle. Marshawn Lynch had his legendary run where he threw seven people. And that (laughs) home field advantage is probably a little overrated overall, but you're talking about having to go play Brady in his comfortable confines, on grass when you're a dome team and all these little tiny things that start to add up and the psychological element. If you can ever give Tom Brady a psychological edge, I mean, you should be pretty scared of him at that point. I was just looking at the PFF numbers, by the way, on this performance. There's a 92 grade for that game, three big time throws, zero turnover worthy plays, 76% completion percentage, 10 yards per pass attempt. I mean, this may have been one of Brady's best games in years. So that's a, it, That's a thing for me where it's not just like, oh, he was okay, he was pretty good or whatever. That was a higher graded game than any game he's played since week one of last season against the Dallas Cowboys. Huh? Oh, so, there you yep, go. Yep. So uh, <laughs> that, that matchup I think was just added way more juice to it by the way that Tom Brady just played. Uh, next question for you here, Jonathan. Mike Tomlin has the Pittsburgh Steelers eight and eight, despite starting with Mitch Trubisky, going to Kenny Pickett, having Kenny Pickett get hurt, so Mitch Trubisky comes back, then Kenny Pickett comes back again. This is a team with mediocre weapons, a poor offensive line. I'm not very sure that they have a good scheme. They traded away Chase Claypool midseason. Their defense is still pretty good, but it's definitely not the 85 Bears, and yet. Here he is again with a chance to continue Mike Tomlin's streak of never having a below 500 season. Just remarkable coaching for him. Now, I don't think that anyone is going to deserve Coach of the Year more than, say, Kyle Shanahan or after this, maybe Sean McDermott for all the things that he's gone through. I think those would be the top now for me, for guys who have gone through a lot and still risen to the top of the entire NFL. So I'm not saying that an 8-8 eight eight or 9-8 and eight coach – is going to deserve to be coach of the year, but what a job again by Mike Tomlin that he has done. Here's what I want to know from you. I want a historical comparison. And I also want you to tell me where you think he ranks among all current NFL coaches. So who is like Mike Tomlin uh, historically and where do you think he ranks
1: presently? I'll have to think about the historically one. That one's it's hard to place on what he's had to deal with there in the past couple years, specifically with Ben Roethlisberger, just kind of losing touch as a quarterback and still just pulling out winning season after winning season. And now just no quarterback at all, essentially this season and still pulling out a winning record almost. And it's not like he's in an easy conference either or or division either And, and conference as well. He's got the toughest conference of the two he's got one of the tougher divisions in all of football with the Bengals and Ravens playing as well as they play and still is able to pull out that he's got to be probably bill Belichick's number one that's easy whether you want to ding him for the is he still I think because of how the longevity bill Belichick deserves to be number one I think that's going to be a hard perch to take off him until he retires I think Mike Tomlin might have a good shout to be number two because of what he's done so consistent. It's the consistency for me for Tom, for Tomlin and the Steelers that yes, we know that organization tends to be more patient than anybody than any other team in the national football league and probably in all of sports, actually, what three head coaches since the fifties or sixties or whatever it is. It's an incredible run. And I think Mike Tomlin has a good shot at being number two, Andy Reed with what he's done in Philadelphia, one of the toughest cities to coach in and now Kansas city with how he's handled the transition from Alex Smith into Patrick Mahomes and what he has in Patrick Mahomes. And I think Andy Reid deserves a lot of credit for how he's changed that offense, getting rid of Tyree Hill and still having the best offense in the national football league. I think it's between those two guys for number two in the national football league with maybe John Harbaugh and Kyle Shanahan behind those guys because of how they are able to manage their teams. I think Tomlin's up there as number two for me.
0: Yeah. I think that there's, about five to seven coaches in the NFL who you would take no matter what. Like if you were starting a brand new franchise and they said, you could have this guy as your head coach. You don't even ask any more questions. You just say yes. And Mike Tomlin is at the top of that list. Uh, There are criticisms for every coach. And I guarantee you that Pittsburghers would say, yeah, you know what? Uh, he hasn't done this or their offensive scheme that or whatever else, but you know, their quarterback play in recent years, they were a 500 team with duck Hodges and Mason Rudolph. Uh, they found ways to get every last ounce out of Ben Roethlisberger. And when you don't have great quarterback play, and I do think Kenny Pickett is really coming along uh, from what I saw against the Ravens, but you know, overall this is a rookie who's having a pretty rocky season. And then Trubisky is clearly just a, a career backup um, you know they've gotten enough out of them to find a way to win some games and I think that keeping the train on the tracks keeping players motivated and focused week in and week out when at one point it looked like there was no chance they would be a 500 football team and it's very easy at that point to kind of check out or to allow you know things that have gone wrong to add up and you end up with a terrible season I mean You don't have to look a whole lot farther than somebody like Arizona for just how wrong everything went and and how it all built up on that team and they just collapsed. So that happens all the time. And the fact that it's never happened to Mike Tomlin, you set the bar, you start the season at eight and eight. I mean, it's just amazing with, with him. Um, so I don't know that he's the best, best, best coach in the entire NFL, the most innovative or whatever, but if you needed somebody to be your leader in any walk of life, you would pick Mike Tomlin to be one of those guys. Um, so I guess I would say he's probably in the top five to seven and I would put McDermott. I would put Shanahan, some of the younger coaches that I think have started to really prove themselves as greats. And then you kind of have the old goats like an Andy Reid, who again, you sort of start with 10 wins and you start with an elite offense because even before Patrick Mahomes, they were winning 10 to 12 games with Alex Smith. And when he was with Donovan McNabb, they're going to the NFC championship game. Like imagine if the criticism against the coach was he only gets to the NFC championship game all the time. I mean, that's, that's a heck of a criticism. It's this, you know, that's to to take. It's sort of like with Pittsburgh where it's like, are they innovative offensively enough? If that's that's your criticism for a coach that does nothing but put you right in the mix to be in the playoffs every year. Um, you would take that criticism all day. For me, historically, two guys came to mind because I think that Tomlin—he has an old school element to him. And there's different kinds of coaches. There's like the offensive innovator, like Kyle Shanahan, and then there's the motivational leader, like Mike Tomlin. Um, you know, I think Marty Schottenheimer. Came to mind for me. I know that he never got over the hump and won the Super Bowl the same way Tomlin has, but it's kind of been after Tomlin's Super Bowl early in his career, it's kind of been like a Marty Schottenheimer career where year in and year out, they're right there on the doorstep and they never get over the hump again. Um, Tom Coughlin came to mind too as that kind of guy who's just like in command uh, at all times, but you know, maybe wasn't like the most innovative. Uh, For the way that he played, but yet at the same time was always in control of his franchise. And you always knew that if Tom Coughlin was coaching a football team, they were going to be really competitive. They were never going to be like a soft team or a team that, you know, just, uh, you know, shot way below where expectations were. Um, And I think that Mike Tomlin is the same exact way. So credit to him for what he's been able to do this year. Uh, Next question for you, Jonathan. Derek Carr is definitely getting traded. Jimmy Garoppolo is probably out. Those ones are obvious. There's a few others changes. Zach Wilson will not be a member of the New York Jets after this season, but I want you to tell me what would be the biggest surprise quarterback move now that we've pretty much got everything sorted out. We know the teams that are disasters and we've got a pretty good sense of the landscape with only one week to go. What, what quarterback movement might we not see
1: coming this offseason. I think for me, and I had a different opinion of this maybe last week or a couple of weeks ago. I think Jared Goff leaving Detroit or Detroit moving on from Jared Goff would be surprising to me because of how they've played under him, especially over the past what eight, eight, nine weeks, and how he's run that offense, how he's essentially just led that team back to winning and it's they're within a game of getting to the playoffs for the first time in a couple of years. And it seems like the roar has been restored at least a little bit. And as you mentioned, as you've said, he's not going to, he's not going to provide you a groundbreaking offense, but he has operated two top 10 or a couple top 10 offenses in the past. And this looks like another one under his belt. And he, he got the Rams to the super bowl. So this is a guy you can trust to do things. And yes, the, the lines are going to have a great draft pick, because of the Rams just absolutely tanking this season. So if they move on from him and draft a rookie quarterback, one of these studs, one of these stud quarterbacks, and go with them in the first year, instead of letting Jared Goff kind of run the ship for another year and then transition in the new guy, I think that would surprise me because of how it seems like there's a lot of goodwill there for Jared Goff, considering how he's run that offense and how the ship has sailed under him this season, especially the last nine weeks. That one would surprise me the most out of any of the quarterbacks maybe on the move this season
0: yeah I think uh with Jared Goff the second half of this year he has really proven that if you can lay out a good offensive situation he could take you to the top I mean this was this was the thing about somebody like Baker Mayfield because you can chunk a lot of these quarterbacks into this into styles of play right like you have quarterbacks or dynamic running ability you have just the super freaks who are the best of the absolute best your Burrow your Allen your Mahomes like they're just in a different category uh, in the universe and Jared Goff falls under a similar sort of uh, realm as someone like Kirk Cousins or what Baker Mayfield was in Cleveland but the difference between him and even those guys is that he's been able to take these offenses all the way to the top of the NFL in scoring number one and number two in Los Angeles in back-to-back years, and that was on his rookie contract. But the thing with them now, even though he has an expensive contract, they're going to have a lot of star players that are on their rookie deals, and it has to happen one way or the other, right? You have to have expensive stars around a rookie contract for a quarterback or uh, inexpensive stars that you've drafted recently around a good quarterback uh, who has a higher contract, and that's Golf right now. And I understand this guy is not the most consistently accurate. He does have some WTF throws where he's like, I don't know what he's doing out there. (laughs) And he does have some bad days where you just think, what? And he's not mobile. He can't throw off platform. Like there's a lot of fair criticisms of him. And yet his offenses aren't just okay. They are super explosive. So if you give him those opportunities, he's going to find the right people to throw to, and he's going to create big plays by doing it. And I think that at least for now, as they want to continue to build around what they have, stability is a really good thing for them at the quarterback position. And then they can decide later. I think spending a draft pick on a quarterback here, even though the odds are decent that you land uh, somebody who might be a star in the future, it, it kind of it doesn't really fit the timeline perfectly for a team that's ready to win maybe next year and compete in the nfc and potentially win the division the way that they played in the second half of the season so i know that people are not super high all the time on jared goff but when he can take a team to the super bowl when he can get top five offenses when you give him a chance i mean that's really what you're looking for when you Mm -hmm. draft a quarterback in the best case scenario so i think you can be competitive with him next year and be a legitimate contender in the nfc and then see what happens from there as far as drafting a quarterback in the future i mean if he had gone four and 13 this year and they had the 22nd best offense then yeah you'd be saying like okay draft a quarterback but if somebody can get you there like what aren't you drafting a quarterback for somebody to give you a top five (laughs) offense like i think that's the whole point isn't it and you know it's possible that uh you know, it runs out for him eventually, no matter what, right. That he won't have the ability to overcome pressure and things like that. Uh, Just like what happened in the super bowl. Like it Mm -hmm. wasn't quite there. And I think that Sean McVay never really let that go and they needed to get Stafford to go to the next level. But this is a, maybe you run before or a walk before you run situation and he can help you become a legitimate contender next year. Do that first and then decide. But, I think he's probably just maybe an underappreciated quarterback that when he does great things, it's like, well, you know, you, you, know, he's still a little inaccurate and it's just like, well, I don't know, man. He just keeps doing this where he keeps leading these offenses to excellence. So I think maybe he, he doesn't get uh, quite the do because sometimes it isn't the prettiest, but if you make great decisions with the ball, a lot of times, we've seen this with Garoppolo, you can just win a lot of football games, even if there are ugly throws that are mixed in there. So, um, yeah, I guess with that decision, it was like before the year, a foregone conclusion, we felt like that they would move on and now they won't. For me, it's, uh, Kyler Murray, I think has a really good chance to not be a member of Arizona and he tore his ACL. It's unclear like how long that will take to heal. And he won't be back at the very beginning of the season. But if you are a team that's kind of on the rebuild and he wants out of Arizona, which my gosh, he should. And if they don't fire everybody, he absolutely should. Which I think, I mean, I think its they should fire everyone right away. Yeah. But I don't know. Like the way that their uh, ownership has handled that situation, they've continued to double down on people that have not been successful. Uh, so I, I think that maybe that would be a little shocking for a team to have a quarterback ascend to the level of being high quality that you could potentially win with and then just sending them out. Uh, But I think that Kyler Murray could end up getting maybe, you know, the blame for what happened this last season, as opposed to the
1: two guys in Cliff Kingsbury and Steve Kime who have sort of snowed their ownership. Yeah, I think that would be a shocking one because of the cap hit or the dead cap hit that Arizona would incur if they did that. I I remember looking up, it's a massive dead cap hit if they move on from him, uh, no matter what time of the year it is if it's before or after June 1st, it's a massive cap. It's so they would have to just be willing to take that, that basically just anchor on their salary cap for the next couple years in order to move on from him to try and rebuild under new general manager, a new coach, what have you. Uh, what about Lamar Jackson? I know that one we brought up before and it's probably very unlikely that it's going to happen, but we're talking surprises here. He just got injured. Could the Ravens say well, we're not going to give you Patrick Mahomes money because you you have a you have a history of injuries? We'll give you Dak Prescott money, but we're not giving you Patrick Mahomes money. And he clearly he deserves and wants Patrick Mahomes money, and they're not going to give it to him. What if he just decides? No, I'm going to go somewhere else. I'm going to put myself up on the free agent market, and bidders, come on, let's go.
0: Yeah. I mean, wow, that would be really crazy if uh, Lamar Jackson did not end up staying with the Baltimore Ravens. That one just doesn't seem possible. Mm -hmm. I mean, when someone is so vital to what they are as a team, and I think you've seen it when they've had to play backups. I, I think, you know, Tyler Huntley's trying his best, but he's not Lamar Jackson and almost no one is. But this is two years in a row where your season has been derailed by Lamar Jackson injuries And this was always the concern and it's been looked at in the past. And, you know, studies have found that the running quarterbacks don't get hurt much more than the pocket quarterbacks. And look this year, all quarterbacks it seems were uh, injured across the league. So all, you know, I mean, Matthew Stafford was injured multiple times. He's not a running quarterback. He's a pocket quarterback, but when it's a guy that can only take so many hits And if he loses a little bit of what he has as far as his running ability, then he's not as valuable as he is when he can run for a 1,000 yards and do these crazy things. Uh, But if you're the Ravens, that's that's the hard thing. It's like if you take that guy off of the Ravens, I mean – Trying to replace him is so difficult. I mean, look at at a team like the Jets, where they've drafted high quarterback after high quarterback and just had bust after bust. You make the wrong decision there if you draft Anthony Richardson and think, oh, well, he's just going to be as good as Lamar Jackson. I guess it's possible that he could be. I like Anthony Richardson, but what are the odds really that someone is an MVP-level quarterback who can win games as regularly as Lamar Jackson has? But at the same time... Deshaun Watson messed this whole thing up with the amount of guaranteed money that went to him because now every quarterback should be looking at their franchise being like, Hey, I am not only as good as him at football, but yeah, you know, like I don't do the other stuff either. I'm (laughs) just a regular guy. Uh, So, you know, now that guaranteed money, that threshold is so incredibly high. And if you're Baltimore, one of the things that they've done, is brilliantly use all the cap space around Lamar Jackson year after year. They're putting great defenses on the field. They're reshuffling the deck. Uh, They certainly could have used it on some receivers throughout the years for Lamar, Um, but still like offensive line and running backs. And they've really put a lot of great players around him through the years. And that just becomes more challenging. And you have to start really hitting on draft picks because I don't think any quarterback can just do it by himself. But to me, it is something that you just can't do. You just can't let someone who has right. captivated their entire city and put them in a position to be a Super Bowl contender numerous times get out the door. But yes, that would, you talk about things that would completely like send an earthquake through the league. It's Lamar Jackson uh, being up for bid. But I just, I just cannot, cannot see that happening. Uh, but it, that could be a crazy situation. The other one I thought of is, it would be very shocking if Sam Darnold remained the quarterback in Carolina, but it's almost possible now because they have a, a villain. They have someone to blame and they could be like, no, we actually made the right decision training for Sam Darnold. It was Matt Rule <laughs> and it might not be the most insane thing I've ever heard. I still think that Sam Darnold is a high character backup quarterback for his career, but Do they have to draft a quarterback here? Plus, you know, some of these bad teams who need quarterbacks. I feel like those top three or four are going to get scooped up very fast in this draft. And Carolina, for as nice of a story as it's been with Steve Wilkes, they really hurt themselves. I mean, they were right there. Mm -hmm. Uh, But maybe they'll trade with Chicago or something and and move up and try to get, you know, uh, Will Levis or one of the top quarterbacks, Bryce Young, CJ Stroud, who I mean, wow, CJ Stroud, make a case for number one. Overall, sir, what a performance by him against Georgia. So, you know, that's going to be a fascinating conversation. If you're Carolina, to me, you have to draft a quarterback if you have the opportunity. But could I see them saying it was the Big Bad Wolves' fault and they're going to stick with Darnold? I could see it. I could see it. Uh, Last one, Jonathan. The Packers, Lions, and Seahawks are all playing for one spot in the postseason. If Green Bay wins, they're in, regardless – If Green Bay loses and the Seahawks win, they are in, if the Seahawks lose and the Lions win, Detroit gets that final playoff spot. I want you to rank them by how dangerous they are in the postseason and by overall franchise coolness. Who's the coolest
1: team in the playoffs out of those three? The coolest team in the playoffs out of those three has to be, I would think the Lions because they have this upstart team. They have kind of the good feeling around them. They have a fun, a very fun offense to watch when it's clicking. I think right behind them based on a very different factors, I think would be the Seahawks over the Packers just because of the color scheme. I can't stand the green and gold of green Bay. It's not a good color scheme. Yes. They have the history of being yes. Green Bay has the history of being one of the historic franchises in this league and they have Lambeau and all this, but you have seen in the past getting free agents there is a bit difficult because you're playing out in the cold most of the time. People would rather probably play in Seattle where it's kind of a cooler city. You got more of a metropolitan feel around it, and you've got an awesome stadium that they have in Seattle. That's just big. It's loud. It's fun to be there. You have Marshawn Lynch kind of hanging around all the time there because of the legendary status he built up there. I think, <laughs> I think the Seahawks would go over the Packers in coolness factor. But if you're talking dangerous teams, it's going to be the Packers because of Aaron Rodgers. As we talked about uh, in the second question uh, with Tom Brady, if he, if either one of those guys gets going in the playoffs, watch out. And right now Aaron Rodgers and Christian Watson are on kind of a heater, and you do not want to be in their way, as the Vikings found out this last week. It is a dangerous uh, situation going up against Aaron Rodgers. I think they are the most dangerous. I think the Lions would be second, and the Seahawks a very distant third among dangerous teams out of those three
0: yeah i i I agree with you as far as coolness factor i love the geno smith story and i might put seattle there uh also i mean russell wilson did so much for them but pete Mm -hmm. carroll sort of having his moment of like (laughs) hey all you people who told me i was coaching wrong for all those years nah no i wasn't uh that's sort of been funny to see him have his moment in that way of being questioned a lot over the last few years about whether they should throw more and let Russ cook and all that stuff. And then to have a great passing game with Geno Smith, all of a sudden has been something. And I think what we see is circumstance and wide receivers make a huge difference. And that's, you know, Seattle and Detroit, the thing that makes them less dangerous is their defenses. Green Bay's defense is far from perfect, but I think the other two teams' defenses are horrible. And I don't know how far you can really go with a horrible defense. I mean, Detroit at some point just gives up 40 points if they were trying to go through the playoffs and and lose, right? And with Seattle, I think it's the same thing where Another team would just be able to, at some point, command the game on the ground, as we saw a lot of teams do against them, and not be able to match. And then eventually Geno Smith sort of turns into a pumpkin. But for coolness factor, although I don't know about fluorescent jerseys and where I stand on those as far <laughs> as cool, uh, I consider myself to be a modern gentleman. But I don't know how I feel about uniforms that burn my retinas. So I, don't I love those cool lime green it. ones. I don't care. I would love to see, though, I would love to see the city of Detroit. Now, they they don't have the home playoff game, obviously. They'd have to go on the road wherever. Mm -hmm. But the city of Detroit deserves this. It's actually been a rough few years with them. The Tigers are awful. The Detroit Red Wings are terrible. The Pistons might be the worst team in the league. I mean, they've had it a little bit rough in their sports uh, in recent years. But especially with that Lions team, the fact that they still have any fans left is astonishing. Um, so if they made it coolness factor, they get the, like Seattle's been in the playoffs just a couple of years ago. Green Bay has been there many times. They've had all sorts of chances and blown every one of them. Dangerous is a different discussion and it's a hard one because when you look at it statistically on offense, which is the most predictive factor, you would say number one, most dangerous is Detroit and number two is Seattle. And then number three, kind of often the distance is the Packers who don't have as good of an offense But in recent weeks, all of a sudden, Aaron Rodgers looks like he's kind of getting rolling. And the other thing, too, is their running game against the Vikings and at other times has been pretty darn good. And Aaron Jones is a legit star. And the fact that they do have a competent defense with some star players, got a healthy defense, Jair Alexander just played great against Justin Jefferson and so forth, that's a hard discussion. But at the same time, like, would you want to guard DK Metcalf and Tyler Lockett? in a playoff game. I don't, I think all these teams are kind of dangerous for whoever gets in and has to play, you know, the number two seed. So, you know, that'll be interesting. But I think if I had to pick, I think I would go Detroit being dangerous because that offense is so good. And I think that uh, eventually Rogers, even though they've had good games lately, they haven't been amazing offensively in a lot of these games. I mean, they had to get three turnovers, four turnovers actually against the Vikings to put up 41. Um, So their defense turning the ball over, that's kind of a finicky thing that goes up and down. I think I'll go Detroit with a slight edge, Um, but you know, Hey, they've got to go to Lambeau and try to win a game um, to go to the playoffs. So that won't be easy for them. So uh, if the NFL does indeed play, which, you know, Nate in the comments said that he'd prefer to see the game stop this week. And I, I totally feel you on that. Um, I think as, football fans. Everyone wants to see them get back out there in a way to remind us this game could be played safely because man, the last thing that we saw, the last football play we saw was terrifying. And then mm-hmm. of course, like there's no bowl games. There's no, there's like no other football being played. Yeah. It's just the last thing every one of us saw is the scariest thing we've ever seen. And so there's a lot of me that just wants to see a football play happen again and sort of to just get everybody back playing the games and, and reminded that it isn't a horror festival as it was uh, the other day, being one of the most terrifying things that has ever happened on a football field. Um, So of course we want that to happen, but also we should be understanding of how everyone is feeling going into this game. And if you have an entire 32 buildings that are distracted, that are sad, that are dealing with something that is just kind of bigger than your usual injury. So much bigger. um, I would understand it if they did. So we'll, we'll find out uh, probably in the coming days, what they decide to do. So great stuff, Jonathan, great to get together with you again, as always for hot routes. And uh, if you're watching us for the first time, we do this every week. So make sure you either check in here on YouTube or you subscribe to the podcast feed. It is spelled with a Z as you can see on the screen if you're watching on YouTube uh, or if you're finding us for the first time. So thanks so much. And we will talk to you all again soon.